0: But in this chapter, we've been looking at the difference in the weak and the strong believers in the church and how that, uh, how that there's not to be a division there based on where they are in their growth, that God's put the body together as He's intended and chosen to put the body together. And that through that, there's to be unity in all things. The strong can't boast or even look down on the weak. And the weak shouldn't judge or um, um, try to condemn or bring down those that are strong. And remembering this, I've said it, it, I guess, about every time, but we're not talking about sin here. Paul is not saying you're free to sin if it don't bother you. That's not what he's saying at all. The Word of God is contrary to that, and even all through this book of Romans is contrary to that. But, you know, it would be very easy if you're one that's going to take a verse out of context, you could take a verse or two out of this chapter and say, well, it's all right for me to sin because it don't bother me. But that, that can't be. That's the danger there of using Bible verses like a fortune cookie saying. They're not fortune cookie sayings. They're not a sentence on their own, but they come in a larger context of a chapter of a book And of the whole Bible. And it all must go together. So saved or not, man's not free to sin, whether it bothers him or not. But what we're talking about is matters of service unto God. So let's look, maybe we'll pick up in 19 where we left off last time. Let us therefore follow after the things that make for peace, and wherewith one may edify another. So edification, the... The goal of the church and the goal of everything that's to be said and done in the church is to build one another up. That you might be more and more established on the Word of God. Not on tradition. Not on man's opinion. Not on the thoughts and the feelings. But on the Word of God itself. That I would seek, that you would seek, that One another, everyone, know and understand and be established on what the Word of God says. So that when somebody, whether it's influential family or uh, somebody that we respect, when they bring something that's not true, we are so established on the Word of God that it would not move us. So James says that we wouldn't be a ship tossed to and fro, I believe that's a great picture that we might be anchored down, unmovable on the Word of God. And so that's what we seek as a church, uh, that each one be built up on the truth of the Word of God. So verse 20, for meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. So for meat that word for there, on account of, and meat, if you look that word up, it just means food. On account of food, destroy. That means to disintegrate, to loosen, or to demolish. Now, what he's not saying is, and here again, you've got to be careful, the context of the Scripture here, because you could could take that and say, see depending on what you eat, you could destroy somebody's salvation. Now, that can't be true either. We're built upon Jesus Christ. We're anchored behind the veil. That that God's done cannot be taken away. But what he's saying here is for meat. I mean, of all things, what we're talking about here is eating of the law and being free of the law to eat. All meat being clean. He says, don't... Don't allow something little like food be a hindrance or a hurt to the brethren in the family of God. Is is that really worth it? Is it worth it so much? And remember what's going on here. It's not that I'm sitting down at my breakfast table at the house eating it but I'm proving a point and these weaklings down here at the church that thinks it's not right I'm going to bring it down to the church and I'm going to eat it down there right in the midst of them and it's a hindrance and it's causing division and separation between the body and so God says for, for meat, for food don't hinder or, or hurt or to loosen I think that's a great picture Somebody that's anchored down in Christ and their trust and hope is in that anchor and here comes this that's going to loosen them up just a little bit and they're going to begin to waver. And well, I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. I I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Well, for food, for something that is as insignificant as what we eat and what we drink, don't allow that to be a hindrance to your brother. Remembering that he said earlier, judge this rather. Don't judge one another, but judge this that you, not, not your neighbor, <coughs> not the person across the aisleway, but that you individually put not something in your brother's way that would make him to stumble or to trip. So for meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure. It couldn't be any clearer than that. There is no offense with God that a man would eat pork any longer. Under the ceremonial law, that was the case. You could not eat that which was considered unclean. In the New Testament church, God plainly, And this is why we have the New Testament. 2,000 years removed. We don't understand the customs. It'd be easy without Paul's writing and Paul stating that it's clear that all things are pure and clean. Without that, we'd be brought under the bondage of that. But God's brought this revelation. There's no offense before God that a man would eat that that was unclean Under the law, all things are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. So evil, that means worthless or injurious. And eateth with offense, that word offense means a stub. It's that rock that's sticking up in the pathway just enough that it's going to catch your toe and it's going to cause injury to you. So to the man then, even though that all things are clean, all things are pure, and there's no offense to God that I ate that, to to the person that deems it unclean. God's not deemed it unclean, but this is in that individual's conscience. Well, I can't do that. God won't be pleased if I do that. To him that eateth with offense, it's injurious, it's hurtful to that man's confidence in God and in Christ. Because now I have done something, see, we're even deeper now than offending God. I've not done something that offended God, but I've done something that has offended my conscience and that rattles my confidence and my trust in Christ and in God. He says in John. And we may look at some of these Scriptures uh, a few different times before we finish this thought. But in John, he says, if a man's heart... I'll find it in just a second. Hereby we know that we are of truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. This is 1 John 3, verse 20. But if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. Now my, my standing, the church's <coughs> standing before God, whether the church is right and justified before God it has nothing to do with what that I eat. Now does it? Our justification is all in Christ and in the work that Christ done. And so even in the Old Testament, David could sin the sin that that honest to God in our mind it's the wickedness is beyond our ability to comprehend. That here's a man after God's own heart. That's going to sin like David sinned, and yet his standing before God, his salvation was not changed. Well, if you sin like that, then then you're lost again. Dave, David was not lost again, but David said, "Restore the joy, not not restore my salvation, not save me again." but restore my joy because he had had broken the commandment of God and he was in turmoil from the guilt of his sin. And so there the heart has condemned us. The guilt is before us and our confidence in Christ has been hindered. But if our heart condemns us, God is greater. We have a place... uh, propitiation and advocate that we can go to for grace and for strength. And so, he says here, for meat destroy not, all things indeed are pure, but it is evil with, for that man that eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak, So here is Paul and really the Holy Ghost is making recommendation. We're getting an injunction. We're getting advice, if you want to call it that. All of those words are too weak, really. But God is going to say, it's good, it's proper, it's right, it's beneficial, neither to eat flesh or wine or anything. So we're we're going to go beyond the scope now of just this issue here in Rome in the year 50 AD where you had Jews and Gentiles that are saved, we're going to bring it all the way to today and that that would offend my brother or my sister, that that would cause them to stumble in the way, it's good for me not to take part in that. So this is what he says, stumbleth, that word means to strike at, to stub on, to trip up, is offended, entrapped, or enticed to sin, or is made weak to be made feeble or diseased in any sense. So if it's something that they're going to stub their toe on, you know, I might stub my toe, I may not even fall. But it's going to injure and it's going to hurt. It's going to slow me down. So not to be a stub... Not to be that that would entice them to sin, even the stronger sense of the word, to entice to apostasy. But those that are, them that are saved, and them that are brethren, we're persuaded better things of them. But here it could be a hindrance to their growth, to their trust in Christ, to their confidence in their heart. So it's good not to take part. In Hebrews... Chapter 12, verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. So here's a lame man, and you know a lame man, and here in in Romans now we're talking about people that are weaker than others, people that haven't uh, been brought to the same level of faith and confidence and trust Uh, The the lame man, he's easier to knock out of the course than a man that's well, than a man that's healthy. So he says, be wary of those that are lame. And don't knock the lame man and the weak man and the the (laughs) infirm man. Don't knock them out of the way. Don't hinder them just because you're strong and you are free to do that. Be mindful of others that you don't knock them out of the way. I I thought of this, I thought of it this week like this. If one of these ladies here, they had a sack of concrete that they is trying to carry and they is trying to pick that up and they couldn't get that off the ground and I say, look at that weakling. I could carry that no problem. Now, if what benefit is that? Now, you you know what a man ought to do? he ought to pick that up and say, let me help you carry that. That's not as heavy on me as it is on you. And so we use our strength to benefit one another. That's the way the church is. We use our strengths to benefit one another and not to mock at one another, not to hinder one another, not to stub at one another, but through the the love of God we build and edify one another in the knowledge of the truth. So in verse 22, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. So have you faith? Are you in the place that you can eat of that and it not condemn you? Then have your faith before God. Don't go down to the church and try to prove a point. If we're not careful, that attitude's easily brought in. And I'm going to prove a point to them. And I'm going to prove to them that they're wrong. And I'm going to prove how strong and how smart and how wise and how good that I am to them. But he says here, Hast thou faith? Have it to yourself. Don't go down to the church and try to prove a point to the weak. But you have it in private at your own house where it's not offensive to you and it's not offensive to them that see you. Because God forbid that we hinder somebody's growth at the church of God. That that ought to concern our heart. The welfare of the brethren. We'll see even deeper into that when we get into chapter 15. So have it to thyself before... Now he's not saying well, you shouldn't testify at church. No, what he's saying is these things that would cause my brother, my sister to stumble or be offended. I I can have faith in private away from them, but when I'm around, I ought to be mindful of the good of the brethren. So he says in Acts chapter 24, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. So this is the apostles' desire here. That my conscience not be defiled in the sight of God and in the sight of man. Well, how can I live that my conscience not be defiled? Well, I'm going to have to live in a manner that I do not walk over my conscience (laughs) and that I don't walk over yours either. You know, the Lord said, It'd be better that a millstone be hung around his neck and he be cast into the sea than that one should offend one of these little ones that believe in me. We heard that the other day. So the Lord is mindful. He's mindful of the strong, He's mindful of the full grown sheep, but He's mindful of the lambs as well. So we ought to be mindful of all of the flock for the good. Of one another. One more place. And 1 John, we've already read that. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Wouldn't it be great to pray and have confidence? Our conscience not being crossed. That would be our desire. So he says, Happy is he. So that word happy means supremely blessed and well off. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. Happy is he that does not live in a manner that brings condemnation upon his own mind and upon his own conscience. See, if if I'm going to continually do that, that brings guilt upon myself, how is happiness going to be the result of that? So seeing that picture there in verse 23, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So is is it possible then that if I'm saved, and here you go, if you're going to use this verse as a fortune cookie verse, Is it possible for me to be saved, for me to have eternal life, for me to be in Christ Jesus and eat something and die lost? He that doubteth is damned if he eat. That's what it sounds like. So see, you, you can take one verse and you can say a lot of things that the Bible never says. That's not what he's saying here. And and I believe we understand that having looked at the whole of the chapter, having looked just really just at the verse previous. Because the man that that eateth and and does that, that does not bring condemnation upon him, that man is happy. But to the one that doubteth, if I'm, and I believe here you can say this, if I'm not fully persuaded, if I am not fully convinced that this is the right thing to do, then I ought to leave that alone. And if I do that against my conscience, if I think, well, I shouldn't do that, and I do that anyway, here I am doubting, and as I take that in, I'm eating condemnation upon my own mind and upon my own heart. I'm bringing myself the place in 1 John, I'm taking my confidence away because now there is this guilt of sin that's in my life. If I'm going to... Now, remember. Remember. Verse 20. All things indeed are pure. In God's eyes, there's no offense in eating any of it. This is all going on in the con. This is how powerful that tradition is. If I harp something in your ears for 30 years of your life, from birth till 30, then at 35, if I, somebody else can say, This is what the Bible says, you're going to have a hard time letting go of your tradition. See, that's what this is. This is not God condemning them. God's already said that it's clean. This is their conscience condemning them because of tradition that was ingrained in them from day one. Paul the Apostle, Peter the Apostle, and the church is proclaiming that the ceremonial law in Christ is done away, and that all things are pure, but here's Jews that grew up under tradition, and it defiles their conscience to live like that. Peter was like that at first. God said, Peter, what I've cleansed, you've got no business calling unclean. But tradition, 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 hard to break, even under the direct gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God deals with that. God says, look, if you're doubting, that word doubting, it means to separate thoroughly, to hesitate, or to discriminate. Discriminate's a good word. We know what that means in race. If I'm going to be a discriminator... I'm going to look at you and treat you differently because of what you are. I'm either going to treat you better or worse than the next man because of the way you look. Well, to discriminate here, here's a man that's looking at a a plate of food and here's a plate with pork and here's a plate with some clean meat on it. And we discriminate in our minds. That's unclean and that's clean. They are making a difference between the two. In their own mind. And the God's truth, it's in neglect of what God has said. But in their mind, they are making a difference between the two. And if you make a difference, and you say that's unclean, and you go eat that anyway, you're bringing condemnation on yourself. Because the devil's going to come, and in the carnal mind, he's going to say, You remember? You, You eat what you shouldn't have back there. And you're guilty. But God said we're free from that. But there's that tradition that we were raised up on. So what's the safe thing to do? Not to touch it. If you can't eat it of faith that word that word all through the New Testament persuasion credence conviction of religious truth if you can't fully persuaded and be convinced that it's the right thing to do then you should not take part in it because he that doubteth is damned feed and if it's not of faith is sin if i can't do that with a full persuade now now hold on a minute is it sin to god That I eat pork chop? Answer that. Is it? Am I offending God to eat a pork chop today? No, so where's the sin at? Where's the transgression? Where's the missing the mark? It's in the conscience. It's in the conscience of man. You're transgressing. We can overcome tradition by coming through grace and knowledge of the truth. To the knowledge overcome. of the truth. Amen. And that's the only means we have exactly. of overcoming. it. But, you know, if I'm going to rely on you <coughs> and you believe one thing and the Bible says something else, I'm never, ever going to be able to grow. That's right. I'm going to have to grow Grace and the knowledge of the Word of God. And by that, I will get faith. Amen. I won't be condemned. I will see this in a different light than what tradition has presented. It. That's right. Would it be wrong saying this? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, not looking unto man. True. See, you got on this here a while back, or somebody here did. The preacher. Everybody's under the thumb of the preacher putting pressure on people. It's like that bunch across the pond over yonder. A man come out on the stadium, everybody looked to him. My Bible don't say that. It says looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And that's how we grow. Is that right? He's, he's our only hope we're going to have to get to the place that all of our justification rests in Him. It's in Christ and in Christ alone. There's where my righteousness is. That's where my right state with God is. Man wants to, in every way and on every side, some way, make it about Him. But by the Word of God, it's all in Christ. And once the church gets to there, you talk about being able to rest In Christ and have peace in Christ, in Him and in Him alone. Amen. Freedom. And so, chapter 15, we then that are strong, so we're still going to continue this thought. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So strong, powerful, or capable ought to owe, to be under obligation to bear, to lift with the idea of removal. The infirmities, the doubt or hesitation of conscience of the weak, the unable, weak, or impossible. So what's the prescription? Well, it's the picture I just said a few minutes ago. It's the lady trying to pick up the 80-pound bag of concrete and she can't get that up and it's me laughing and saying that weakling... I could pick that up and carry that no trouble. Well, what's the prescription here? The strong ought to pick it up. Not laugh about how weak they are, but the strong ought to pick it up and carry that for the weak. Now, you think about how, how foolish that would look to you if I did that to one of these ladies. Would, would that not be terrible for me to do that naturally speaking well spiritually it's the same way for me to say these weaklings these nothings these these people they don't matter a hill of beans and look at how weak they are well the Bible says we ought to be mindful of their weakness and we ought to take the load on our shoulder we're strong by our own words we're strong and we're capable well we ought to Carry their load for them. With this in mind, we, we're going to get ahead of ourselves. Let's not do that just yet. So, we then that are strong, so real strength, real strength, and you say this to, I say this to my boys, and this is hard, this is opposite of the carnal, but it's the truth. Real strength is not punching their lights out. That's easy. Enduring it. That's real strength. You see that? Real strength is withholding. Real strength is preventing the flesh from doing its natural way. Now man's the opposite of that. Man thinks strength is indulging in the flesh. And so here, the strength of the church is refraining and restraining from what's good for me for the good of everybody else around me. I mean, you talk about... Greg just preached a little while back in Matthew about uh, having ought an issue between brethren. Well, look at how near, and I tell you, we're so far removed from thinking like this. The church is a community. One body. One people. And it's to the place that I lay down what's good for me for your good. Forget about an ought between the brethren, but the way the Bible says that I ought to think about the brethren is what's going to be a benefit to them. Not what's going to make me look smart. Not what's going to exalt me. Not what's going to make me look like a holy man. But what I ought to be concerned with, no matter what's going on, is your good. And if it hurts me, if I have to carry a little heavier load in order for you to be benefited, the Bible exhorts me to carry that. We ought to bear. God's given us strength. We ought to bear the infirmities and the loads of the weak. So, in Galatians, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's turn there just for a minute. In Galatians, chapter 6. Now that was verse 2 that I just read to you. Bear ye one another's burdens. And in verse number 5 of chapter 6, for every man shall bear his own burden. Sounds, sounds almost contradictory. But the words are different. That's not the same word. In our King James, it's translated as burden in both verses. But the word in verse 2, it means a weight or a load. So that's what we've got in Romans. We've got uh, people that are loaded down heavy we've got strong people that are able they're to take on the load of the weak and bear that for them but every man's going to bear his own invoice or manifest it's what's inside the truck so what's he saying there and this is this is additional but just to get a picture it's not a contradiction what it is is the calling that God's called me to do, I'm going to have to bear that myself. The preaching that God's called me to do, you can't do the preaching that God would have me to do. So I'm bearing that calling and you're bearing your calling. But the loads of the church we can share in those and bear those for one another. And not to please ourselves... So that word please, it means to be agreeable. So it's not to be agreeable. It's not what I want to do necessarily. It's not to be my benefit. It's not to my good. Well, I really don't want to do that. That's the way people are. And that centers around me. But God and His instruction to the church is it's for your good. It's to be agreeable to you whether I like it or not. So listen to what he says in Luke. Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens, grievous to be born, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your little fingers. My God, what wickedness. Wouldn't you say that's wicked? Here's men that are... Loading people up with these weights, with these burdens, and they're not willing to do any of it. This goes on today. Man says you've got to do this, that, and the other, or your people won't be saved. Man lays you up with a burden. Man saddles you up with a load. And the God's truth is their people's lost, and they're not doing anything they're telling you to do. They're going to work Monday morning just like you are. They're eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner just like you are. They're not losing sleep at night. I've heard in my life, I've heard a, a pile. You've got to do this or your people won't get saved. That's laying grievous burdens and not touching them with the little finger. So he says, in Christ... In Galatians 5.24, they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So now, God's not asking us to do something unreasonable. You see, when when God in chapter 15 says you ought to help the weak, not to please you, not because it's what's good for you, and man says, wait a minute... That's not fair. I didn't sign up for this. Well, in Christ, did we not already, have we not already in Christ crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts? Have we not come to Christ and laid our lives down for the salvation that He's provided? By the Word of God, we have... And so in verse 2, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. So let everyone, that's the same word again from verse 1, please, to be agreeable. Please his neighbor for his good to edification. Architecture, structure, confirmation, it's a building up. So lay aside what's good for you and what you like and what pleases you and look to the body and let's be agreeable and let's be pleasing to the body that they might be built up more and more on the Word of God that you might become a little stronger that you might come a little more out of tradition, that you might be helped. And you know, seeking the strength of it, as you grow a little stronger, as we encourage, as we, I believe this, pouring in the Word of God. You want people to grow, just start pouring out the Word of God. Just start feeding the lambs and the sheep and God will bring them to the trough and they'll grow on that. And so as they grow, they can bear more and we can share more. But to mock and make fun of them falling under a load that they can't bear, that's not the way the church is to live. But we're to seek the edification, the building up of the whole body in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. What's the purpose? Well, there in Ephesians now. He's going over the gifts that God gave to the church. God saved His church God justified His church. God indwelled them with His Spirit, and He's going to give gifts to them. Now, man's opinion and thought on what these gifts may be, but He's going to define them there in Ephesians. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. He's provided the church with these. What are these? What are they for? God's granted some some understanding of the Word of God and an ability to get it across. Now, why would God do that? For your good. For your benefit. For your growth. That we might come together and be able to learn the Word of God. (coughs) That we might be perfected. Completed. See, it's a building up. As the boys get a Lego set... You've got the instructions and you've got all the pieces and you start there with with one block. But as time goes on, you're continually building up. And it's getting closer and nearer to completion. Well, how does the church get built up? How do individuals in the church get built up? It's by the Word of God. And God's give the church the means that the church needs To grow and be established. He gifted it. It's not because I was some great fella and I brought this to pass. It's God's gift to the church. That's where the gifts come from and it's by those gifts that He's given that we might be established firmly in the Word of God and that when somebody comes with sleight of hand, I love sleight of hand magic. And that somebody with not not cameras, not mirrors, not smoke, but just with their hand can fool your mind into thinking you saw something that you didn't. And it can be right up close. You know what that is? That's cunning. And that's taken lots and lots of practice. But they've practiced it, and they can do it with just their hands in front of your face, And convince your mind that you just saw something that's impossible. So that's what these men in Ephesians, that's what he's talking about. They come with cunning craftiness and with sleight of hand. And they, what are they? They're taking the Word of God. And with sleight of hand, they're making you think it says something that it doesn't say. And boy, if. If you get caught up in it, it's easy to think, my gosh, that was real. The younger your mind is, you think, man, he's really, he's really magic. But you know, if we get established on the truth, somebody could do some sleight of hand and we say, "I, I know how that's done. I know what the Word of God really says and we not be moved as children tossed to and fro. And so in verse 3, For even Christ pleased not Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached me, thee fell on me. So Psalm 69 verse 9 is where that came from. And here we're going to be brought back again to the cross of Jesus Christ. Why is He bringing us back here? Because man is saying, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to carry their load. I don't care what they're going through. I don't care what offends them. It's not my place. I'm not going to do it. In some way, shape, or form, that's the way the carnal man thinks. And so where does God bring us? Right back to the cross. You say you don't need to bear anybody's load. You say you don't care what others are going through. You say you don't want to be a benefit to them. You're only worried about yourself. Well, look to your Savior. Look to Him who our reproaches, Lord. our punishment, our stripes, and our death, and the hatred that should have been for us was loaded up on Him. And you know, He, he bore those. He took that and he he wore the stripes in his back. And he bore the cross to Calvary. And they nailed him there and he died. And you know none of that was for his benefit. That didn't please him in the least. But it was for the church. So if our master some wonderful scripture where he the master's going to gird himself and wash the feet of the disciples. Now you get that picture. Here they all are. There's 13 of them in the upper room now. Christ and the 12. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I guess Judas was still there at that time. And they come in and it's custom of the Jews that when you gather in to eat, you wash your rotten, nasty feet. And there's normally a servant the lowest servant of the house that's there and they wash everybody's feet before the meal. And here they come and they're going to sit down and you know the disciples thankful well our feet's not been washed but I'm not going to do that. And you go around the whole table now and all 12 of them are thinking like that. So you know what they do? They sit down with nasty feet and they eat with nasty feet because nobody's lowly enough to get down and wash them. And the Lord Jesus Christ girds a towel around His waist and He goes around and He washes their feet. And He says, Now, as I've done, so do you. You do like I've done. And He being our example, He bore our reproaches He bore our iniquity. Is it unfair for him to say, look what I carried. Look what I bore for you. Can you not carry this little load for somebody else? Is that unfair? Uh, We get it all twisted up in the carnal mind and we we miss the weightiness of, of the Word of God. So he says in Matthew, now here's Jesus, He went a little further and fell on His face and prayed saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou will. So He's not going into this looking forward to it, especially in the flesh. He's praying, let this pass from Me. But in John chapter 4, Now here's Jesus' mindset. Jesus saith unto him, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. The disciples are trying to feed Him. Master, you've not eaten. You're going to starve. You're going to get so weak that you're not able to do anything. You need to eat something. And Jesus says, I've got meat that you don't know. You know not of. And they're, well, who brought him something to eat? Somebody must have slipped something in while we were gone. But see, Christ is not concerned about his own good. He's looking out for this Samaritan woman that needs to be born again. He's bearing his affliction for her good. And so in Peter, one more place and we'll stop. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed him himself, committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. So here's the Lord. He's being reviled. And now you think about, if anybody had the ability to answer back, to give a comeback, that's what we would say today. If anybody had the ability to come back with an answer, to come back with a response, the Lord could have come back with a response. The Lord said Himself, I I can call twelve legions of angels... If my desire is to be delivered from this, I have the means and the ability to be delivered from this. I can bring this to an end. But he's going to be reviled and he's not going to revile again. He's not going to retort back. He's not got an answer back. But you know what he's going to do? He's going to bear that. He's going to carry that. And in his own body... There's his sins. Our sins. Your sins. There they are on him. And he's carrying them to the cross. But listen to what he did. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You remember earlier in chapter 14, we saw that. We saw that every man is accountable unto God. We account that God is going to judge and God is going to bring righteous judgment to the whole land so we need not be concerned with that leave God to the punishing we don't need to punish we want to punish we want to see punishment but leave the punishing to God and God calls us to bear it for the good of one another for the good of the body. Anything on your heart you'd like to say,